I think we'd certainly see a pivot away from what uh, the current state of relations are back to most likely what they were like when Trump was last in office. This is certainly something that Ankara seems to be banking on. Uh, I'm sure Erdogan would be delighted if Trump won. Welcome to the Eliamet podcast series. In this podcast, I'm going to discuss with Nicholas Danforth about the status of U.S.-Turkey relations, the American elections, and the role that Turkey will or will not play in the American electoral campaign. Nicholas, thank you very much for this discussion. Do you think that U.S. relations with Turkey will continue to be dysfunctional? And how did the Israel-Hamas war affect them? Yes, I think the one thing I'm always confident in saying about U.S.-Turkish relations these days is that they will continue to get, uh, they will continue to be dysfunctional. They might get a little less dysfunctional, but most likely they'll get more dysfunctional. Uh, and the conflict in Gaza is uh, is just another example of why Erdogan, in this case, actually like much of the world, is uh, is deeply critical of Israel's actions, uh, is deeply critical of the United States' support for Israel's actions, uh, has been very vocal about that fact, uh, has done it in a less effective, less diplomatic, uh, more antagonistic, more explicitly pro-Hamas way than a number of other actors on the global stage. Uh, and doing so has clearly uh, prioritized wanting to be confrontational, wanting to stand out as an outspoken uh, critic of Israel, not to say supporter of Hamas. Uh, and in doing this, he has uh, not surprisingly alienated a number of people uh, in the United States, a number of people in the United States Congress, uh, people in the uh, current U.S. administration. You know, the Erdogan's particular skill, his particular knack in uh, commenting on this issue is that even for a lot of us who ourselves are very critical of Israel's uh, actions, ourselves are very critical of United States's policy on this particular issue, Erdogan still manages to comment on it with, uh, with such a perspective, with such a flair, with such a naked uh, indifference to Hamas's atrocities that he really manages to uh, to alienate wide swaths of the American uh, public and political class. And that's as much as we're coming maybe closer to solving some of the other issues with Turkey, although still not very close in the case of uh Sweden's NATO membership in the F-16s, uh, now we have a new set of problems. Well, do you believe that Biden administration, in the time that they have, they will try to find even more common ground with, uh, with Ankara? Or at the end of the day, they will try to find ways to work around Turkey? Or is that not possible, Nicolas, because of of um, the geostrategic, but the geographical uh, place of, of uh, Turkey? I'm going to say a little bit of yes to all of those. Uh, the Biden administration, I think to its credit, from the outset has been very clear. I think it's actually had a very clear and consistent policy towards Turkey, which is that they're certainly open to finding ways to working with Turkey when there are real possibilities. Uh, but they're not going to go out of their way to try to do so. They're not going to seem overly solicitous of Turkey. Uh, they're not going to seem desperate to win Turkey's support. Uh, they're going to leave the ball in Turkey's court when it comes to mending relations. 
uh, and they're going to find try to find ways to work around Turkey uh, wherever possible. And you know, to the extent that is impossible, which is part of the problem, uh, they are they're taking a narrow, targeted approach on trying to solve the issues that are of utmost political importance. Uh, so on something like the S four hundred, you know, U.S. put. Uh, sanctions on Turkey because, but according to U.S. congressional uh, bill passed by Congress, the CATSA Act, the United States is obligated to put sanctions on Turkey for its purchase of Russian S-400 missiles. Uh, the Biden administration has continued to implement those sanctions. Uh, there was a lot of hype about trying to find a solution. The United States has been clear on what its expectations are for that solution. You know, and on that issue, since the outset, Biden uh, and his team have pretty much made it clear that this is something that Ankara knows what it has to do to solve. And if Ankara wants to solve it, they're happy to work with Ankara. And if Ankara doesn't want to work uh, with them to solve it, you know, sanctions will continue apace. Uh, to everyone's dismay, that approach was not possible when it came to Sweden's NATO membership, because as uh, Ankara and now everyone else is well aware, uh, Turkey had a veto on that. So in that, <clears throat> for that narrow issue, which obviously because of the war in Ukraine is of utmost importance to the United States to get solved, uh, the Biden administration did prioritize trying to to get an agreement with Turkey. Uh, it first, it allowed Sweden to take the lead. It tried to get Sweden to resolve this bilaterally with Turkey. Uh, when necessary, Biden proved uh, or showed himself willing to step in you know, have a high profile meeting with uh, Erdogan at the NATO summit saying a few nice words with Erdogan after the NATO summit. Uh, when that didn't prove sufficient, when the uh, scope of the negotiation seemed to broaden, uh, the administration has clearly done its part in trying to make uh, the F-16s for Swedish ratification uh, deal more explicit, more workable. Uh, this continues to be a challenge in part because uh, unlike the Turkish Congress, which acts at uh, Erdogan's behest, the United States Congress does not necessarily act uh, explicitly at Biden's behest. So there's a little more negotiations uh, that's now obviously gotten more complicated as Turkey seems to be bringing Gaza into uh, this, you know, at least publicly has brought up Gaza in relation to Sweden's accession. Uh, I guess getting back to your previous question, another way in which that conflict has has deepened the bilateral dysfunction between the United States and Turkey. Uh, but again, to the administration's credit, they've really narrowed the, the bilateral file to this issue. On Ukraine, they've been very, I think, good about you know, publicly praising Turkey's support where possible, but recognizing they also need to put pressure on Turkey when it comes to uh, enforcing sanctions on Russia. So in that regard, yeah, I mean, I think they've just, they've been savvy about knowing what they need from Turkey, uh, trying to the best of their ability, not always successfully to get that and not getting caught up in this uh, desire, which previous administrations sometimes got sucked into of thinking there was, there was always some benefit in trying to improve relations with Turkey for their own sake. Many of us thought that after the the catastrophic quakes and the way that the economy, the Turkish economy, is going, that maybe Ankara would want um, to make things better, not only with the United States but in general with the West and with the EU. But 
it doesn't seem to go that way. So you think that economy can in the future play, play a role in how Erdogan reacts towards the West and towards the United States, or life has proven that that's not the case. Right. Hope really springs eternal when it comes to Turkey's relations with the West. It's uh, it's fun to go through and count the number of things over the past, uh, let's say, five years that we're supposed to be, we're supposed to open up a new chapter. We're supposed to create the possibility of a reset. Uh, every time Erdogan wins re-elections, there are people who hope that will moderate his behavior. Uh, when Biden won re-election, uh, or sorry, when Biden was elected, there were hopes that that was going to be grounds for a reset in U.S.-Turkish relations. Uh, when the war in Ukraine started, people thought that was going to lead Turkey to pivot back to the West. Uh, there's a never-ending stream of these. The Turkish economy has also been something that created those hopes. I don't think completely falsely. Uh, you know, I want to. I'm very cynical about the idea that we're ever going to see a broad shift in Turkish policy. I think Erdogan's uh, political Political alignment, his own ideology, his own threat perceptions, his own worldview, his own uh, the political constellation that he's created makes uh, makes such a thorough shift impossible. Uh, but all that said, I do think the economy has really tempered his policies. I do think the economy has put constraints on what he can do, and that's. Uh, you know, given the, the alternatives, given the possibilities, that's something positive. You know, and I think I imagine folks in uh, in Greece realize this as clearly as everyone else. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, even if Turkey's actions don't seem super constructive right now writ large, uh, compared to, you know, when he was making threats about the sovereignty of Greek islands, uh, compared to when he was aggressively pushing for uh, energy exploration in a uh, Greek exclusive economic zone, you know, that Turkey's behavior on that front vis-a-vis uh, -vis Greece, vis-a-vis -vis, by extension, the EU uh, is very subdued uh, as much as there's now anger over Gaza. Uh, and that's inflecting Turkish Erdogan's rhetoric. Uh, the general tone in relation to the United States is still uh, less aggressive than it was before. And so, you know, some of this does have to do with the economy. Certainly the the big pivot we've seen that what seems to be a more substantial and lasting pivot uh, in regards to Turkey's relation with the Gulf countries, with Saudi Arabia and with the UAE, I think very much reflects Erdogan's economic uh, constraints. But again, it's why it's like the, the economy constrains Erdogan. It keeps him from necessarily doing everything he wants or being as aggressive as he might want to be. But there are it, it only goes so far. You know, again, I think we've seen that most clearly in the case of Israel. Uh, the Undoubtedly, the economy was part of what uh, led Turkey to push for a very public rapprochement with Jerusalem a couple of years ago. Uh, but when the fighting started in Gaza, uh, we saw the limits of that. And so I don't, you know, and I again, I hear this from my Greek colleagues much more clearly. I think everyone's very skeptical of Erdogan's motives in his current push for rapprochement with Greece, everyone realizes there might be uh, limits to how long this is going to last. And so it's, yeah, I guess I just, I don't want to discount the economy. I think that's real. I think that's shaping Erdogan's behavior, but it's, um, you know, it's, it's a guardrail. And you, if you hit that guardrail full speed, you can also break through it. Now, um, in November, in November, 2024, uh, United States is having elections. 
Do you believe yeah. that, uh, that Turkey will play a role? Uh, and if yes, what kind of role in, role in the electoral campaign? Uh, you know, it's been funny recently. Turkey usually isn't a major political issue in uh, in U.S. politics. Uh, it's done. Erdogan's done a good job of making it a little bit more of a domestic political consideration than usual uh, in in the worst ways possible. You know, to the extent it was an issue during the Trump years, it was uh, it was purely in relation to illegal activity, whether or not Trump or sorry, whether or not, you know, Michael Flynn, Trump's uh, very briefly lived uh, national security advisor, was uh, he was in the news for taking for doing unregistered lobbying on behalf of the Turkish government. Uh, there were, of course, a great deal of subsequent coverage about whether or not the Turkish government was trying to illegally influence the U.S. government's handling of uh, Reza Zarab and the Hulk Bank case. It looks like Turkey very much did try to uh, try to influence that. Rudy Giuliani, who's now been in the news for all sorts of great stuff, uh, was also acting on behalf of uh, of the Turkish government in trying to make this issue go away. Uh, now, Eric Adams, uh, in this case, for uh, for a change, a Democrat is in the news as the mayor of New York for potentially having taken uh, bribes, being investigated for taking bribes from uh, Erdogan-linked businessmen in connection with, uh, it seems, construction projects in New York City. So it's, um, you know, it's fun for those of us who are used to commenting on U.S.-Turkish relations purely in a foreign policy context uh, when they get dragged into domestic politics in uh in the worst, most embarrassing way possible, it uh, it opens up the scope of commentary, and it's uh, it certainly doesn't do any favors for Turkey's reputation. Um, and so, you know, if if Turkey gets involved in the next election, I suspect that will be how God knows what they're up to in collusion with the Trump campaign already. Uh, as far as actual foreign policy goes. Probably less likely to see a major Turkish role in the election. Uh, if Trump gets uh, if Trump gets the nomination, which seems like the most likely outcome now, there may be a little bit of rehashing of Trump's corrupt ties to Turkey. There may be some efforts to tar Trump as being uh, Erdogan esque. Uh, uses corrupt ties with Erdogan and his own authoritarian impulses to you know, play up that uh, similarity. I don't know if that's something that uh, Biden will go go in on, but that's where I'd see, that's where I'd see this playing out in the election. Well, and in case um, Trump wins the elections, do you think there that there will be um, a significant change in uh, U.S.-Turkish relations or not so much? Yes, I think we'd certainly see a pivot away from what uh, the current state of relations are back to most likely what they were like when Trump was last in office. This is certainly something that Ankara seems to be banking on. Uh, I'm sure Erdogan would be delighted if Trump won. Uh, they, you know, they got relatively good treatment from Trump in the past. Uh, Trump greenlighted their attack in northeastern Syria their efforts to undermine the U.S. partners, the YPG there. They got favorable treatment. They got a sympathetic ear from Trump uh, on a number of issues. You know, they, 
extreme delays that the Trump administration took in implementing the sanctions on Turkey's purchase of the S-400 were very noticeable. The fact that Trump actually seems to share Erdogan's approach to dealing with Russia and dealing with Vladimir Putin will make life much easier for Turkey as it tries to balance between the West and uh, Russia in the Ukraine war. So yeah, there's every reason to think that uh, Trump's election would work out well for Erdogan. The only caveat I'd include is that it, Trump being Trump, there's a certain fickleness to him. There's a certain unpredictability to him. And so again, while I think there's the good money is on the personal, uh, corrupt, opportunistic, largely ideologically aligned relationship that the two enjoyed last time around returning, things could always get weird. Uh, we saw, for example, in the case of uh, Andrew Brunson, the U.S. pastor who was imprisoned by Erdogan, when negotiations to have him released and returned to the U.S. broke down, Trump actually got very angry at Erdogan. Uh, the U.S. imposed more biting, more sudden uh, sanctions and tariffs on Turkey to try to resolve that issue than other administrations have been willing to. That was done out of... Uh, peak, it seems, by Trump. And uh, and that took a toll on the relationship. The Turkish, uh, the Turkish lira still hasn't recovered from the point that it was at when those sanctions were imposed. So I think there's always the possibility that things could go, could go south on any number of personal, uh, personal political, you know, let me put it this way, when the political relationship becomes personal, there's always the possibility that political tensions could lead to some kind of personal fallout like that which could make things worse. There's also the fact, and this does get overlooked sometimes, uh, that Trump amongst the entire Republican Party uh, was a little alone in his degree of enthusiasm for uh, for Erdogan. You know, there's a predominant growing Christianist trend in Christian nationalist, uh, religious nationalist trend in the Republican Party. Erdogan, of course, is the the flip side of that. He's an Islamist. There's more than enough room for those ideological currents to fall afoul of each other. It was striking that uh, Mike Pompeo, Erdogan's, uh, sorry, Trump's uh, Secretary of State, at the end of the Trump presidency, when Pompeo was trying to position himself for a uh, ill-fated presidential run of his own, one of the few areas in which he actually publicly broke with Trump was in trying to take a publicly much harder line on Turkey to be more pro-Greek, to be more pro-Cypriot, uh, to go to Istanbul and visit the patriarch and not visit Erdogan. Uh, and things like these reflected a real ideological current in the Republican Party that so far Trump has uh, has not gone along with. The Trump has been uh, fallen astray of, but I think that's there's always the possibility that 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 current is going to, certainly if we had a non-Trump Republican candidate, but even with Trump, that that current could play a role as well. And could it also play, Israel play a role in all that, Israel-Hamas war? I mean, um, Republicans and especially Trump were very pro-Israeli and uh, he had very good relations with uh, with Netanyahu. So um, could that make uh, relations more difficult for Erdogan with the United States? Yes, and that's exactly the political constellation that, you know, as much as Trump and Erdogan might have a closer relationship, 
could really, really create further problems between Turkey and the United States. Bizarrely, part of that Christian nationalist trend in the Republican Party uh, is very pro-Israel. And so when you've got large portions of the Republican Congress, large portions of even the people staffing a future Trump administration uh, who would be very aggressively pro-Israel, and you have Erdogan trying to position himself as an outspoken, again, not just critic, critic of Israel, but supporter of Hamas, there's uh, there's a lot of room for, for things to break down there. Do you see Turkey also continue to balance its relations with the West and inside NATO and with uh, Russia and Vladimir Putin? Because he seems to play this game very, very well. Well, that's interesting. I don't... He's very eager to play the game. And I think he's going to continue trying to play the game. And I think everything, uh, not just Erdogan, but people in Ankara have said, suggests that they're convinced they're playing the game very well and that they think their future lies in continuing to play this game. As an outside observer, I am still a little skeptical about how effective that that's actually proved to be. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, the, the theory of the case on Turkey's part was that by being essentially non-aligned, by being, by trying to maintain good relations with both NATO and the West and Putin, that Turkey would enhance its regional power, that it would increase its leverage over both of these countries, uh, and that this would work to Turkey's benefit, it would make Turkey a power broker, it would make Turkey, if nothing else, a crucial interlocutor in the conflict. And I haven't necessarily seen that working out for Ankara as well as they'd hope. Uh, it's they've certainly uh, they've lost a lot of ground in U.S. public opinion. They've generated increasing frustration within Washington, and I'm not entirely sure what they have to show for it. You know, the very fact that something like purchasing F-16s which for decades would have been a non-issue. It's something that the U.S. Congress would have greenlighted. There might have been, you know, again, there were issues over Cyprus. There's always issues. um, Greek, Armenian lobbyists have tried to raise issues with military sales to Turkey in the past. But because Turkey was seen as such a strong ally, because Turkey was seen as such a priority, these things always went through in the past. And so the fact that you've now got a situation where a pretty run-of-the-mill military sale to Turkey is being held up uh, and that Turkey is now actually having to use its leverage within NATO, again, so far unsuccessfully, to try to get this sale through, shows that, you know, I'm not really sure how this leverage game is uh, is playing out for them. You know, economically, I mean, there's so much going on with Turkey's economy that it's really hard to point out cause and effect and figure out what specific aspects of their policies are helping them economically, what specific aspects are hurting them economically, uh, playing an uh, independent role, refusing to more aggressively impose sanctions on Russia, certainly has probably been good for Turkey's economy. That's something any Turkish administration would be tempted to do because of the role that Russia plays economically, that Russia plays in the energy sector for Turkey. Um, you know, but again, what is that? What has any of this really gotten Ankara? You know, at the beginning of the war, Turkey was eager to put itself forward as as the moderator, as a country that could bring uh, could bring the Ukraine and Russia, Russia and the West together, uh, hosting peace talks that those didn't go anywhere. 
you know, the grain deal was one of the few concrete things that Erdogan could really point to, to demonstrate his theory of the case, to show that he was really providing uh, benefits to the West, to the world as a result of his non-aligned role. And, and then even that broke down. So I don't necessarily, I just see uh, Turkey pissing people off here without necessarily getting uh, a concrete strategic benefit from it. And one last question, Nicolas, that doesn't have to do with uh, with uh, Turkey, actually, but with uh, the United States and the electoral campaign, because I cannot, uh, um, I, I want to ask that. What do you think will play the biggest role for the American voters in these very crucial elections in November? Uh, I'm glad you saved that for last. As difficult as trying to understand Turkish politics has always been for me, uh, trying to understand U.S. politics right now, now is even more difficult. Uh, whether it will be the economy, whether it will be the fears of U.S. democracy being destroyed if Trump gets reelected, whether it will be foreign policy issues like the war in Israel, which is certainly resonating with a lot of people uh, domestically, whether it will be something else completely unexpected that happens within the next year. Uh, I don't I, I don't dare make a prediction. I a lot of things will clearly factor into people's decisions. Uh, a lot of the result will hinge on what specific set of factors uh, do come into play when it comes to the American public. It's always going to be a little more unexpected, a little more difficult to understand than any of us, be they here or looking at the United States from the outside, would anticipate. So I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to have to say God only knows, and uh, I'm watching with uh, mild, if not mounting alarm, to see how this all plays out. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for the discussion. Thank you. Thank you. This was another Eliamep podcast with Odin Linardatu. Recording, editing, and sound editing by Petros Karpathiou. Follow us on the Eliamep channels on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and elsewhere. <laughs>